it's so important to be like super passionate about what you're doing because when it gets really tough and it probably will, um, this isn't pretty much, I think, I guess with my experience, anyway, almost inevitable, um, yeah. you know, things are always going to get somewhat tougher, but you know, if you're really passionate about it, you'll, you'll jump in. Right. And it, it can be obviously quite, quite scary. Um, but I, I guess you'll find courage from, from that passion. This is a Life in Motion audio experience, a podcast about travel, action sports, culture, and more. What's up, and welcome to episode 72 of Life in Motion. I've got John Harrison online, who is part of the Pacific Boys, a team that is set to row 3,000 miles across the Atlantic Ocean from Antigua to the Canary Islands. Why? To provide clothes to 3,000 school children with the Assistance League of Seattle. I'm excited to learn what inspired them to do this, as well as what it will take to get the job done. Uh, John, thank you for being on the show today. My pleasure. Small caveat. It's actually the other way around. We're going Canaries to Antigua. Ah, okay. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. sa- same distance though, right? <laughs> same distance. Yeah. Although it would take you a lot longer to go the other way. It's probably impossible. Ah, <laughs> uh, that makes sense. Probably because of the winds. I would. Yes, the wind and that the currents makes a lot more sense now. Well, I apologize for that, and that yeah, oh, I guess I could see how that can make things a little harder. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be out there for a lot longer. You yeah, your boat. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Well, um, b- before we get into that, obviously that was a big teaser of of what you all are you know trying to accomplish and and why and all that stuff. Um, but before we kind of dive into what all that entails, um, let's go ahead and start by talking about yourself a little bit. Um, So just kind of a background, you know, what your story is, um, where you grew up, hobbies you had growing up, kind of how did you get into uh, not only this this mental state of wanting to conquer such a feat, but also to tie that and pair that with, you know, giving back to the community as well? For sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, gosh, me, Um, (laughs) where to begin? I I mean, I grew up in Vancouver, Canada. Okay. so uh, yeah, I'm Canadian, which is great. So, but anywho, the, um, where do you even begin? Uh, gosh, there's so many factors that have kind of tied into what's brought this about. But um, as far as like, you know, adventuring and stuff like that, I was part of scouts. I had a fantastic scout group that I was part of, um, you know, in during school, um, all throughout high school. And, and we did a lot of outdoor activities, very focused on being outdoors and, you know, doing multi-day camping trips and stuff like that and big hikes and that was always just a blast and uh in high school I started to get into cycling a lot just I had a science teacher inspired me because he'd do these really long rides uh like hundreds of kilometers a day for like multiple days in a row I mean he was still is like super super into the long distance riding and it was I just thought that was the coolest thing ever so I started riding my bike to school. It was like four kilometers, but like, it was really hard. <laughs> you know, I couldn't, I couldn't barely get up the hill. Um, <laughs> Cause uh, yeah, it was steep, but you know, tried and tried and tried and I ended up doing it, you know, every day for about four years. Um, and, but that really catapulted me into like, uh, you know, racing. And then, uh, you know, eventually became a choice of, do I want to continue to race or do I want to go to university? And so I chose, chose school and uh, you know, I got into bicycle touring um, cause it was just kind of a fun, fun way to do the long distance. So that kind of got me into kind of adventuring and, and, uh, exploring if you will. Um, so, um, but then, yeah, I guess fast forward to, you know, I was interning in California in a very tiny, tiny room. Um, <laughs> and I, uh, you know, I was just browsing, 
uh, browsing some you know venture kind of blogs and I found a fellow named Alistair Humphreys um, you know and, and uh, uh, he's a British explorer done a lot of really cool things but one thing he did was into I think 2012 he rode across the Atlantic on the redoing um, and I was just so inspired by that I was like you know I really want to do that <laughs> so <laughs> Like you know, most people, you know, forward, uh, do that. <laughs> fast forward, what was that? Like six years, and then I, uh, it, it, the timing all aligned. Um, but yeah, I think what kind of drew me to the whole thing is it, it, it's kind of a, a fun thing to daydream about. You know, it's like oh, this big adventure. It's a crazy, crazy goal, but it's also something you just can't predict. You know, yeah. you don't know what's going to happen, uh, especially like, you know, cycling or whatever. You know, there's always it's always exciting, right? There's something new. Um, it, but it's something that's just, you can't prepare for necessarily. You just have to experience it. Um, so that was always, you know, a fun way to escape, you know, mentally into some kind of adventure. And that would always be a, a fun thing to kind of think about when there was more difficult problems in, in real life. You know, that was always a cool way to, uh, I guess, escape in a way. But, you know, making yeah. it reality was even cooler. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, that's a little bit about where, where I came from and how the, how the whole thing kind of started, I guess. That, that's awesome. No, it's super interesting kind of how you know, obviously sort of already had kind of that outdoorsy background. Uh, and then, you know, your, your teacher kind of introducing to cycling and kind of how that journey progressed, you know, doing the long or, or, you know, doing back and forth at school and then kind of more getting into touring and that kind of stuff. So, so where, where did the transition into, um, rowing happen from that? Yeah. So that was 2013 when I discovered it and it just kind of stuck in the back of my head pretty significantly. I checked out the great Pacific race in 2014 and 2016. I actually was very close to being on a team um, with, with a fellow named Cyril who is doing a solo kayak to Hawaii, by the way, if you ever oh, want to look that up, he's, wow. he's an awesome guy. Um, they ended up winning the race actually the, the year they did it. I dropped out because I didn't have the time and I didn't have the money. <laughs> it took me a little bit to figure it out, but you know, they were, they were really good about it. So, you know, but you know, it was like, okay, I understand. <laughs> yeah. This requires a lot. Um, but I mean, I was still incredibly naive, <laughs> but so anyway, fast forward to 2019, I wanted to take a vacation, um, working, working now in Seattle. I'm, uh, was working on my green card at the time. I, I just got it actually, which is pretty cool. Awesome. Um, yeah, working, working for Amazon and, uh, you know, I, um, I guess, uh, yeah, I needed a vacation <laughs> and, uh, I decided, you know, where can I go where there's good cycling? And I was like, Oh, like, you know, a family friends, just the Canary islands. I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. You know what else leaves the Canary islands at about the same time <laughs> I want to take this vacation, a rowing race across the Atlantic. Oh, well maybe I'll go check that out. So, you know, I spent one of my vacation days and, took a couple ferries and got to meet a whole bunch of folks at the Atlantic campaigns who run the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge, which runs every December out of uh, La Gomera in the Canary Islands. And that's where I kind of saw everything and saw, you know, it's extremely professional. It's a very good organization. It's a race. There's about 30 teams every year. And, uh, you know, I met a bunch of the folks who had, you know, set up their teams and were getting ready to start tomorrow. And, you know, <laughs> it was pretty electrifying. And um, so that's how I kind of decided, you know, on the ferry leaving La Gomera that day. I was like, wow, okay. This now or never. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. So, so at that point, um, you know, learning about it and, and then kind of saying, like, oh, wow, okay, there's, here's, here's my opportunity now to do it. Have, have you done any or ha, ha, have you done any um, 
I guess, longer distance things like that before that would sort of prepare you for that? Or was it more like, Hey, here's this opportunity. I know I want to do it now. I'm going to figure out how to prepare for it. It's more the latter, but there's a bit of mix of both. I, I mean, I cycled around Taiwan solo for like 11 days or something like that back in 2015 or something. But I mean, that's peanuts, really, <laughs> relatively <laughs> speaking. But I mean, you know, it's uh, no, and I, I'd never rode. I'd never picked up an oar. Um, <laughs> by the time in 2019, I decided, even after, you know, years of thinking about it, it's like, ah, oh, no, I'll learn to row once I really decide I want to do this. Um, <laughs> but it's funny because a lot of people are the same. It's you know, the barrier to entry physically isn't technically that high because, you know, the, the, uh, it's really more about the mental thing. Uh, Ian Couch, who's the safety officer for Atlantic campaigns, he told us once it's, you know, it's not a sprint. It isn't even a marathon. It's a lifestyle. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that's completely true. Um, there's definitely, definitely a physical aspect. Don't get me wrong, but, you know, not knowing how to row beforehand wasn't a huge issue. And that was one of the interesting things to me. It's just like, okay, normal people are doing this, right? There's been yeah. a lot of really, really cool stories of, um, you know, people who've, who've done the race. Uh, I'm sure people can, can find them on YouTube and other places, but, you know, it was just like, wow, okay. You know, this is, this is achievable, um, you know, for, for a pretty normal person. That that's, that's awesome. So yeah, I was just kind of curious how that kind of unfolded. So Mm -hmm. Um, so, so you found out about it, um, and did you have an idea for like, I guess, how does the teams work? I mean, is it like, yeah. you know, you, you already go there with a team or if an individual goes there and they don't have a team, they pair them up with other people, other, other individuals that are interested in doing it kind, kind of what, what, I guess, what does the team dynamics look like in that case? It's generally, it's whatever you want it to be. Now, Atlantic Campaigns doesn't provide like a team sign up thing. It's not like a paper seat kind okay. of deal. There are other companies who do that kind of stuff. Um, but for me personally, I wanted to build a team. Um, I didn't know who. <laughs> I just knew that I wanted to build a team um, because that was a big part of the experience. I think that's one of the big things I learned at Scouts too, was just, you know, it's not about where you go. It's about who you're with. And so, you know, it, it, that, that was a big thing for me is just like, having that experience of building a team was something super important um, um, to me and to want to actually, you know, <laughs> experience this with people. Cause you know, I'd done solo trips before and, you know, it, it, it's almost, uh, <laughs> you can almost, you can be romantic about the whole thing, right? It's just like, you just, you can't tell people what you experience. You, you know, it's, it's all just by yourself, yeah. which, you know, there's some beauty to that, but there's also, you know, that can be kind of lonely and, and isolating yeah. in a way. So being able to do it as a team was definitely, you know, high priority. Plus it takes a lot longer to do it as a solo, which you can do. You can do it as a team of five, four, three, two, one. We're a team of three. Okay. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it can, you know, there's, there's differences between all, all, all those, but, you know, doing it as a solo or as a pair can generally take a pretty long time, which given, given, work it's difficult to take off that much that much time so um decided to build a team that's awesome there. so so you didn't know who your team was going to be but you knew you needed one exactly in, in that case especially such like i said such a, a long distance something that you've never done before everything like that how did you find the right people one that you know i guess you know there's obviously the physical aspect of it um but also so somebody that was physically able to do it and could kind of endure that, 
but then also the, uh, I guess the social aspect of it almost as far as, you know, getting, you know, if you're, if you're with, with a group that long and you're kind of all reliant on each other for that long, it's something kind of so important. You obviously want to know how to problem solve and, you know, talk out some issues that I'm sure will come up um, just as kind of, as that goes on with anything. So how, how did you like kind of pinpoint like who, who that was and kind of like fit them into like, okay, this is the right person because X, Y, Z. It's fascinating thinking back because at the time, it's funny the race organizer also told one of the race organizers told me like, you're going to have a hard time doing that. I'm like, okay, sure. Um, you know, <laughs> um, you know, it just wasn't, wasn't a thought, but you know, for me, it was whoever would say yes, <laughs> more yeah. or less. Right. And then just kind of see how it goes. I didn't really have much of a plan going into it, particularly aside from, you know, I got to find people. I did that by emailing people at work, Okay. Um, you know, and, and cause Amazon's a pretty big company and, you know, there's like affinity groups within, within the company. So it's like rowers at Amazon, triathletes at Amazon, oh, sailors okay. at Amazon. And that's how I kind of reached out to, I emailed probably oh, at least 200 people. I would get, I guess by the end of the whole thing here and, uh, and yeah, uh, one stuck and then another was actually a connection through someone I had emailed. So, you know, it just kind of came together in funny ways. And, you know, I think just after all that we've been through the three of us uh, and there's a lot of other people on the team too. There's, there's a lot of other people involved. It's not just the three of us by any stretch. Um, you'll see all, a whole bunch of other folks on our website. And then, I mean, it's been such a team effort. There's so many, so many people involved in this thing. It's, 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 it's wonderful. Um, but just speaking of like the, the three direct, you know, the rowing teammates. I mean, what I can't underscore enough about the whole adventure is that the adventure hasn't been about the row. It's been about getting to the start line, you know, I yeah. mean, that's like 90% of the battle is just getting to the start line. Cause it's just such a momentous task financially, time-wise, it's just the training involved, learning everything. It's just been insane. So, you know, I didn't really have a specific thing I was looking for in hindsight. Oh yeah, I would have been very particular, but you know, I think that's part of the adventure was just the yeah. unknown and, and the, 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 uh, I guess the being naive. <laughs> so anyway, but, um, you know, what I was looking for, uh, you know, at the time was an individual contributor at work. So they wouldn't have, they weren't a manager because that would be harder for them to take off time. Um, you know, aside from that, what else was I looking for? They're based in Seattle and, yeah, I used like which what level they were at because there's different levels at Amazon. So that was a that was a filter. And that was really it. Like I needled everybody. <laughs> and you could have mixed teams as well. So it was not limited by, you know, gender or any any other factors. So, you know, it, it was a wide net. And um, yeah, I mean, I had lots of people interested and met me and talked to me and stuff like that. And, you know, I you know, I, the, the putting the team together took the gr greater part of 2019. Um Okay. Well, I guess I guess I went to La Gomera in uh, 2018. Sorry, that's a correction, but yeah. So it took the better part of 2019. Um, so yeah, honestly, it probably should have taken longer. <laughs> so, but, so was that to actually just find the team, or to find the team and then start training? Find the team and start the training. The biggest thing was honestly getting kind of the money together to buy the boat. No, um, yeah, well, because <laughs> that was you know, and that and that's what a lot of people told me. It's like you know, you have to get financial commitments from people, right? Because it's a big lift right up front and you know uh, it's difficult to you know get established <laughs> with without having a whole team together kind of thing i mean most people who do this are have a bunch of friends they want to do it with right or people they've known for a long long time 
Um, so it's it's a bit more natural. Uh, so this was a bit more of an uphill or upriver swim, so to speak, you know, as far <laughs> as getting it all together and getting people committed. I mean, so, you know, one of my teammates, Isaac, he, at some point in about July, he just said, you know what, man, I'm all in, let's do this. <laughs> and it was kind of at that moment where I was like, okay, you know, I've got someone here with me now. And, <laughs> you know, through kind of the, I, I don't know, it's, it was kind of like for me, viewing this as kind of like the captain of the whole thing. I was like, okay, I've, someone has put their trust in me and it's now my job to deliver. Yeah. Right. And that, that, that's where it all kind of really changed. <laughs> that was when, okay, I, I got to build a website. I got to, you know, figure out how do we incorporate a, a 501c3 nonprofit? Like, you know, all these kinds of administrative things started to fall into place. And that's when it became a lot more serious. Wow. No, that's yeah, because that's... it just took one to kind of say, yep, I'm all in. <laughs> I've been coming to these silly meetings you've been having, so <laughs> I might as well go all in, right? <laughs> that's awesome. Well, and, and that makes sense too. You know, you might have some hesitance or whatnot from people, but you know, once you get that one, like confirmed yes, from your perspective, you're like, okay, I'm not crazy. These people are on board and they, they're on to what I'm saying. So, you know, that kind of gives you that, that boost of confidence almost. So and then, you know, actually make it, okay, this, this is real now it's going to happen, which is awesome. So, yeah. so that took, you know, uh, the better part of, of last year. Uh, no, not last year. It was 2019. 2019. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get my years mixed up nowadays as with everybody. Um, mm -hmm. so, so you got that sorted and then I'm guessing, you know, obviously the between now and then has probably been those, you know, like you said, securing the, the financial aspect of it, of course, but also the training itself. Yes. So, so what, I guess, what does that training look like? Um, yeah, I guess, what does that look like to prepare you and kind of what, and I guess, how, how does that prepare you for how, I guess the trip would be broken up in December when you actually do it? For sure. I mean, the biggest thing was getting the boat. That was the most important thing. Everyone, you know, will say, you know, you can erg for as long as you want, and, and erging using a rowing machine is is quite good. Um, but you know, nothing compares to being on the boat itself. Even being in a rowing shell, it's completely, completely different. So, you know, that was that was the feedback. I was like, okay, we need to get a boat. So, you know, we did. We uh, we bought it from an Australian team. Bought it used. We uh, went down to Antigua managed to figure out how to get it into a shipping container and then ship it to the U.S. Then we drove it across the country and brought it to Seattle by March um, 2020, and then COVID hit. So, you know, we were originally actually going to do 2020 race. But, okay. you know, given given yeah, the, no. the circumstance, <laughs> we couldn't take any risk. Well, we, not any risk. We couldn't take the risk of shipping it, you know, yeah. to to the start line and not knowing if we could be there or not. It's kind of a, kind of a, kind of a challenge. So, yeah. You know, that, that definitely set things back and it made it extremely difficult too to do, you know, events, a lot of things that people would, you know, more commonly do um, to support the, support the row. So anyway, um, but as far as the training goes, it was just about getting time on the water. I mean, I remember the first row we ever did, um, we, <laughs> we rode around, around Lake Washington um, in, in, I think, I guess it was in March. And it was freezing and it was raining. It's probably the coldest I've ever been. But, you know, afterwards, it was 14 hours. Um, you know, we got to the other end and we were all still laughing. So I was like, well, <laughs> you know, this is this is a good sign. Um, you know, that's a, that, that uh, takes a certain, you know, mental mental shift. Yeah. So but the most important thing was just getting hours on the boat. And one of the challenges, too, is actually Isaac, who I mentioned from from July. He's actually based out of Santa Barbara. 
he's doing oh. his PhD in computer science there. So, you know, we were, that was, that was an interesting challenge as well. Just having that um, almost duality to Seattle crew and then having Isaac down, um, down there. But um, it, so, yeah, yeah, it was, it was great though. Just having everyone present for the times that we were able to, um, it, but yeah, getting time on the water is the most important thing. We did, a, we've done a, a lot of different training rows. Um, I, I mean, probably over a thousand hours, wow. <laughs> at least, at least I think I have at this point now, I'm getting close to it anyways, um, on the boat, um, rowing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we did like 48 hours, 55 hours. And then this year we did a five day race, uh, called the Washington 360, which was amazingly fun. Um, it was difficult, but really, really interesting. It's, you know, there's currents and all sorts of stuff going on. So made it extra challenging. And then we just did it most recently, about a month ago, we did our last kind of big training row, which was a four-day row along the Northern California coast, which was pretty hairy. I mean, there was one point where it was so foggy, you couldn't tell the difference at night between the sky and the sea. Oh, so it just felt like you're rowing in nothingness. And that's kind of weird. <laughs> you know, it's, it is very unnerving. And then if occasionally you get the, you get a wave that would break, right? I mean, the waves were reasonably, I mean, five feet or something like that, not huge, but I mean, big enough. That's still like a little unnerving. You get a wave that would break beside you, just like, Oof. yeah, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> boo, come out of nowhere. Um, so that was pretty wild. And then, you know, yeah, it's just, there's so many, so many, so many stories uh, of just things that have happened. I mean, we almost got ran over by an oil tanker. I mean, just crazy stuff, you know, as we've learned over, over time. And then, you know, we spent a lot of time as well, like completely overhauling the boat. We stripped it down and, you know, redid all the, all the fasteners and replaced a bunch of hatches and, you know, redid the, like a bunch of the electronics and the water maker and you name it. I mean, we've, 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 we've dabbled in it. So um, yeah, on top of all the different administrative things, we've held a ton of events. It's, it's just been, it's been a, oh my goodness, an odyssey, but yeah, it's, it, the training's really, really been that simple. Just, you know, erg and row. <laughs> um, so, you know, I mean, I think given, I don't know, maybe more, I don't even know if more time was necessary, but just, I guess, more awareness and like, you know, of how much work there was to be done that we probably could have had a more regimented training routine at some point. Um, but I mean, it's just been so much going on that it's almost been difficult to do the physical side of things. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we've, we've all been doing our own, our own routines and we've had help from coaches who've been fantastic and kind of giving us routines that we can work on to improve our, you know, our balance and our, you know, our form in the rowing position itself. And we've also been, you know, lucky to have partners um, helping us like drift yoga and, and others. So yeah, it's a, <laughs> a plethora of things. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm actually just looking at your Instagram right now as well. Um, and checking out the boat, just to kind of refresh my memory, uh, which is, which is pretty awesome. It's just, so it looks like it's, you know, completely kind of self-sufficient, you know, it has the solar panels on top, it looks like. Um, and then obviously that's sort of the little cabin I'm guessing down there as well. There are two. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, so folks can go onto our website to check it out as well. We've got a picture of the boat, which gives kind of a, uh, a bit of an overview of what's, what's there, but there's actually two cabins. So bow and stern, there's, there's, uh, both cabins are, you can sleep in them. The stern okay. one's a little deceptively small though, because it actually goes under the deck. So your legs are under the deck. Oh. So you can't really tell. That's why it looks a little small. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's the one I sleep in. Um, <laughs> 
Are you anyways, shorter or just got the short end of the stick? I am shorter. I am okay. five six. My teammates <laughs> are like I think six and six one. So okay. <laughs> yeah, I had to find strong guys to carry me across the ocean. What can I say? No. There you go. <laughs> no, no. But um, yeah. So it, it's completely self sufficient. We make our own water. We do. Have, we have backup water. All of our food is uh, basically rehydrate and consume. We do okay. it cold. We don't bother with uh, you know. Teams bring along, and we are bringing along a jet boil. We're never going to use it. We're, we're pretty confident. Only if in some very unusual circumstance would we maybe some special occasion. Um, but we just do it cold because we don't want to risk pouring boiling water on ourselves. And it takes extra time, which time is definitely precious on the boat. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but everything's self-sufficient. It's all yeah, it's solar powered uh, to run the water maker, uh, kind of our navigation, safety equipment, um, satellite phone. Um, tracker, et cetera. So that's, that's wild. So it's, it's all, um, I, I kind of just lost my train of thought. So, uh, okay. Yeah. That's what I was gonna say. One thing I didn't ask. So to the trip itself, um, you know, 3000 miles is a lot when you think about it, but how many days are you expecting that to take? I expect around 40 days, give or take. Okay. Um, it varies most significantly based on the weather conditions. So typically, if you have rougher conditions, you'll actually go faster. The boat's definitely designed to catch the wind, catch the waves, and surf them. You can get that thing going pretty fast down a wave. Um, what, what is pretty fast? 15 knots, give or take. Okay. It's like the like what we've heard. We've only been able to get it up to, I want to say, eight knots okay. going down some waves. But our waves that we've had have been shorter period and steeper. So they don't have as much chance to build a lot of momentum. It's just more like, yeah, it's done. Whereas on the Atlantic, we'll have much longer period, but much taller waves. I think you know, people say up to maybe like 25 feet. Um, you might hear people say like, oh, 50 feet, 100 feet. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's yeah. Um, unless you're in like a hurricane, which is why we do it in December. That's what right? I was going to ask. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's warm too. It's not, uh, you know, it's, it's mid-Atlantic. It's not, uh, it's not the Northern Atlantic. So it's, not, uh, <laughs> it's winter, but it's not cold. That's the common question. Um, but anyways, so yeah. Um, depends heavily on the weather. The fastest time for a trio has been, I think, 36 days. And that was set two years ago by a team of three brothers. So yeah, they, they did an awesome job. And then, uh, you know, it's, it's varied though, um, to like up to like 60 days. Um, we have enough food for 60 days, um, but hoping for, hoping for around 40. Awesome. That makes sense. And, you know, it makes also sense to prepare for, uh, more food rather than less, I guess, in that that case. Um, so, so in that case, so about 40 days ish, um, how, I guess, what are the days going to look like as far as actually rowing itself? Is it, 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 do you kind of switch on and off throughout the day and night? I guess what I'm trying to figure out is, or think I'm, I'm not, uh, a huge water guy myself. So if I ask any ignorant questions, I, I apologize, but like, for example, I mean, at night or if nobody's controlling it, I mean, I don't think you're dropping anchor cause that's pretty deep. Um, <laughs> so, so how, how do you kind of navigate all those different things? You know, we actually do have to carry an anchor. It's part of the race rules. It's uh, 150 feet of line. It's basically useless, except for right at the beginning and right at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I figured. So, <laughs> um, but uh, anyways, the thing weighs a ton. <laughs> it's so unfortunate. Anyway, no, but uh, we actually have an auto tiller, so it's just a an actuator at the back of the boat that just is tied up to our navigation system, which is keeping us on a heading. 
Okay. Um, you can set waypoints and stuff like that, but we're generally just going to be saying, go this way. <laughs> um, and it should be pretty consistent throughout the whole thing. We'll probably change it every 12 hours or so. It depends. Um, but nevertheless, uh, so that's, that's one way to do it. You can also steer by hand. Um, and you can also steer by using your foot. So there's a couple different ways it can be done in case of an emergency or if our auto tillers break, there's different ways to do it or depending on the conditions. Um, we've heard of teams that, you know, stand up on the boat and steer it while it's going down a wave. It sounds pretty, pretty wild, but <laughs> you know, it, you kind of adapt. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's how the steering all works. So we don't really have to think too hard about it aside from inputting what we want into the, into the system. But um, as far as the rowing shifts go, we do break it out so that we always have someone rowing 24 seven. Okay. And the way that we've done that, uh, normally if you have a team of four, which is kind of the most common size of team, um, you would do two hours on, two hours off, and you'd rotate that way with your kind of bunk mate. So like you'd have two people living in the stern, two people living in the bow, two hours on, two hours off. You'd kind of offset those for a little variety between the two kind of uh, um, cabins. Uh, but what we've done is we're doing two hours on, one hour off. And then doing that seven times in a row, so you're rowing for 14 hours a day, and then you have a four-hour break in the middle of the night. And that's different for each person. So uh, one of us goes to bed at 10 and wakes up at 2. I go to bed at midnight, wake up at 4. Another guy goes to sleep at um, 2, wakes up at 6. So it's, uh, it's a little bit confusing <laughs> to explain. But basically, that four-hour sleep is when you get the most, you know, REM basically, and that's kind of our goal. We found with the two hours on, two hours off, which you could do as a three, but this was better optimized to get a longer sleep um, because you know you want it, there's more stuff to be done during the day, like washing clothes, eating especially, um, you know, and uh, running the water maker, checking headings, receiving messages from race organization, um, you know, checking to make sure we're not going to get hit by a boat. Um, <laughs> or a ship really important um, things, things like things like these. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, in all, in all sorts of hygiene stuff, there's, you know, a, a million ways we, we, we are preparing to make sure we have good hygiene, but, um, nevertheless, that's kind of how the day looks like. And it means too, that we each have two hours of solo shift in the middle of the night. So that can be a little bit nerve wracking. That's what I was talking about when we were, you know, when it was totally pitch black in the fog on the oh, California yeah. row, that was at night when you were rowing with just by yourself. The other guys are asleep. It's an incredible trust exercise, but it's really, yeah, it's, uh, I would think it's so. really interesting. Mm -hmm. and your mind starts so. playing tricks on you and, and then they're, <laughs> they're wondering what's going up above. <laughs> Hallucinations are common. Uh, so we've heard, I mean, <laughs> it was, it was hilarious actually on that, on that last row. Cause I swore I saw like dolphins or something around the boat, but my teammate couldn't see them because I had the flashlight and, you know, it was just too quick. I swear they were there. They were there. I know they were there. <laughs> hey, if you saw it, they were there. I'll believe you. Yeah. <laughs> so that, so that's interesting. That kind of makes sense. Uh, I guess in, a, in kind of the best way to kind of optimize your sleep and the time that you're getting while also optimizing the, the amount of rowing that you're doing as well. So what I guess, um, and I don't want to think like in a crazy situation because you're going to do this trip, but as far as like, like, is there like a, a boat that's part of the organization yes. that is like close by in case something goes really super crazy, they can come pick you up or like a, just a crazy swarm that pops out of nowhere that, you know, they got to do something like, 
I guess what, it, I, I, you know, I'm just kind of curious, kind of being like, if you're right dead smack in the middle of, of, you know, where you're supposed to be in the Atlantic, um, you know, what, what does that look like? I guess from, from their end. Yeah. So from the race organizer standpoint, they have two support yachts that follow, follow the race. Okay. Now in, in reality, we probably won't see them more than once. And that might be right at the beginning or right at the end. Um, because, Which you know, would once, be the once idea, the race right? starts, yeah, exactly. <laughs> once the race starts, though, I mean, you spread out a lot. I mean, by mm-hmm. the time we finish, some teams are probably, you know, only about halfway because they're, you know, solos or, you know, pairs or what have you. So um, the spread gets really big, really fast. We probably lose, lose sight of all their teams by about, you know, 36 hours in, if I had to guess. Um, so, yeah, but uh, in the worst case scenario, they can help you out but it means you're disqualified um because the, the race is unassisted you can't have any external help um so you know the cases we've seen are, are people that get extremely seasick or they just mentally can't handle it they have to get off okay. right and that's pretty extreme usually you know the race will try to you know say oh we're going to be a couple days away and that's that's going to be true you know they might be up to seven days away so you know usually it's just the better option to just stick it out. You're going to be stuck on a sailboat anyway for yeah. the next, you know, 30 days. Cause they're not going to go right back to shore. Right. So they're not going to airlift you. No, no, no. Um, so, you know, and then in the worst case scenario, if we are hit by a very bad storm and something catastrophic happens, um, you know, the number one rule is really stay with the boat. Do not leave the boat. But if you really, really, really have to, for, you know, the only reasons I can think of are the boat splits in half or it catches on fire. Um, or it's going to sink, which is also extremely unlikely, but um, your best bet is to be picked up by a passing ship. Uh, and that's happened a couple of times in the past. So we also have a life raft on board um, along with, you know, immersion suits and uh, self-inflating slash manual life jackets, um, a grab bag with, you know, rations, et cetera, in it. So, you know, there's, there's lots of different ways that we're prepared to take on an emergency, but most likely in the case of a storm, which is where you need this kind of stuff, uh, we have the ability to just lock ourselves in the cabin and put out what's called a para-anchor, which helps us stay in place. And also these smaller, like kind of mini wind socks that go in the water called drogues, which can help the boat stay attached to the wave. So it doesn't get bowled over basically. Interesting. Um, so yeah, there's there's a couple of different methods. It depends on the conditions, of course, but that you can do to kind of uh, stay more stable and uh, prevent capsizes. But even even if you do capsize, the boat is designed to self-right. The only case where it won't is if the cabin fills with water because you left the hatch open. So you know the another kind of big rule aside from stay with the boat is keep the hatch closed, which can really really suck because it's quite warm out. It's like 25 oh, yeah. 28 degrees Celsius. Uh, somewhere in the 80s in Fahrenheit, Canadian. But um, nevertheless, uh, that, those are kind of the two biggies. And also staying harnessed in at all times. We are always harnessed in. So, you know, there's, oh. uh, there's that as well. Because, I mean, not to sound too grim, but if you got if you got disconnected from the boat in, not even in like necessarily that bad of conditions, you're gone. You know, it's going to be very hard to, to find you or catch you with, with the boat. Right. Like even even with being able to row, it's it's hard to, you know, follow someone in those kinds of conditions and be fast enough and strong enough to catch them. Um, so you're always, always attached to the boat. That's interesting. That's not something I would have thought all the other stuff kind of makes sense. Well, this makes sense, too, but <laughs> it's something I wouldn't have thought about. So basically, are, are there almost like kind of like guide wires along the um along the sides and you're just kind of hooked in with like a carabiner type thing and a harness or is that so you can kind of move around freely or like what does that look like 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's very much like that. So there's there's a a jack line on the on the deck that we always slip into, and we also have the sidelines that we can clip into as well. Although they're not really meant to support the full load, um, but they definitely can. Yeah. Um, we've we've jumped in and out and pulled on them as hard as we can, and they're not going anywhere. But nevertheless, uh, yeah, you're you're harnessing in two places. It's a special marine harness um, that then as it, we have attached to a modified climbing harness for each of us. So yeah, you're you're well and truly secured. Awesome. Well, no, that, that makes sense. And yeah, it's crazy how many, how many different things you have to think about to, um, uh, think about, you know, along that journey and, and what to, uh, you know, plan for, you know, obviously the, you know, you don't want the worst to happen, but you got to know what to do if something like that does happen. So that's also, um, very imp- impressive as well in itself. So yeah, it's, it's been amazing trying to work through all the scenarios. I mean, we literally had a session a couple of weeks ago where we literally went through what is absolutely everything that could possibly break and how do you, how are we going to fix it? Right. Some cases we're just like, well, we'll just kind of have to figure it out. But I mean, for the most part, we have an answer to pretty much as many situations we can think of and everything, um, anything that's ever happened in the past, we know how to address at this point. Uh-huh. Um, so barring unusual circumstance, you know, um, we, we've thought of most things. But I think one of the most important things too is just having the flexibility to react to situations um, as a team and make those decisions effectively. And I think we've gotten quite good at that over the course of training on the water and just, you know, semi-adverse conditions. Um, it's been uh, a, a struggle for sure, but it's it's been fascinating to watch us each grow into the, uh, you know, different roles in the boat, but also just how we approach problems together. Yeah. And that goes back kind of that social aspect as well. You know, you got to trust who you're with and, and be able to, you know, communicate and and work through those problems when they come up and, you know, focus on that rather than anything else. So that's a, that, that's an interesting dynamic and it, and it sounds like you've got a good group around you. So as far as figuring out those problems, I I, I keep asking about the problems. I kind of want to, (laughs) I want to stop. I haven't, you know, just kind of uh, about that, but does you mentioned, you know, you, you're kind of planning for every kind of different scenario. Does the race organization say like, Hey, here are things that you need to prepare for, or is it literally you all just sitting there and like thinking of the craziest things like, okay, if this happens, this is how we're going to do that. No, I mean, that's, I mean, it, it's a bit of both to a degree. I mean, it, it depends on how far you want to take it in probabilities. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, we were, we were thinking like, oh, do we need a 50 watt panel or do we want a 200 watt backup panel, right? Solar panel, because the 200 watt one could power the water maker, whereas we have a manual one instead. And that would take more man hours and just be, you know, like, you can go into extreme detail on a lot of things, but the race organization has been really good about, you know, providing us with history of things that have happened. And they do, you know, pr- really prepare you. I mean, they don't allow anyone to start unless they feel they are totally ready. Um, you know, so... Uh, it, it, again, it just depends on to what degree do you go to, right? Yeah. You can always go down, really down the rabbit hole. I mean, we're talking about a situation where lightning strikes and kills the entire electrical system. That's never happened before, but, you know, yeah. theoretically, theoretically things can happen. So, um, yeah, it's it's definitely a mind exercise, but also it's, it's just getting to know the boat over time, you know, having taken it all apart, understood exactly how it all works. It's like, okay, you know, what's the worst that could happen here and how does that impact other parts of the boat and how we operate during the day? Uh, it's just been, it's, it's been about experience and just learning those things as we go. That's awesome. Well, no, it sounds like you all are on top of it. So 
uh, it's going to be a nice, smooth uh, rowing trip for you. Sailing. <laughs> uh, so, so kind of to, to pivoting a little bit. So I know you, there's, there's kind of a tie to this with uh, a nonprofit that you all chose. Yes. Um, so, so let's talk about kind of what, what that, um, I guess the idea behind, because I'm assuming the race organization encourages that, or is that might be part of it. So why do they do that? And then what is the organization that you chose and why did you choose to work with them? Why did you feel like that was important to make an impact on? Yeah, of course it's, it's up to each individual team and on, on what they want to do with it. But I mean, for, for us, and I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, for me and for, for the team, it was like, you know, we have this incredible platform. We're doing this crazy thing, you know, it would be crazy not to have some something some some tie to the whole thing. It's just the appropriate thing to do, and especially with what has happened with COVID, you know, it, it, for us it was so important to find something in our local community here in Seattle that we could you know help with because you know we were fortunate enough to be able to get get through COVID um, still in, intact as a team, um, you know, and so with that we were you know looking for how how can we support the community right and so we were looking for ways we could volunteer and we came across assistance league of seattle um you know and and it just it it uh the cause just instantly connected with us because i mean we owe a lot of what we've achieved in our careers and in life to our education i mean isaac for example is is uh you know he's still he's still doing his education he's getting his <laughs> phd so you know um so what Assistance League does, and they do a number of things, but one of their programs is called Operation School Bell, and they provide new, new clothes to uh, kids in need or at-risk kids in, in the Seattle School District. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it, yeah, it's, it, that's, then that was the connection to us. It was just like, wow, that's, that's amazing. It's helping inspire these kids to, you know, uh, have the confidence to do well, do well in school and focus on their education. Um, you know, which can be totally life-changing. So, yeah. you know, that, that little thing that's, you know, it's like they don't have to wear their poverty to school. Right. I mean, that's, that's, that's just so, so incredible. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we, we found them and uh, you know, things aligned well when we met with them and we decided, yes, we want to, we want to do this with you guys. Um, so yeah, it was all very fitting and, uh, and timely as well, because it's such an important, important thing right now. And the demand has only gone up and it's been harder and harder to actually get in, donations through traditional channels because they they run a thrift shop um among and do other events and such which with COVID has been extremely difficult to do so you know it's just been appropriate timing and uh you know the importance is not uh let up at all it's going to continue um as we see you know the slow economic recovery yeah that's awesome and i I like that that cause too because um you know, with, with so many things going on and, and, you know, obviously, you know, COVID aside and all that stuff, but, you know, a family that might not, might be in a tough spot, you know, like you said, you don't, the kids don't need to wear that to school because school is such a place where, you know, you make friends, you get different connections and that can kind of elevate everything. You don't ever know how, but you'll see it one day, a couple of years on the road, of course. But to your point, that's one thing that they don't have to worry about going into school is, Hey, what do I look like today? Um, so, so that's really cool. So how, so how exactly are you using the platform of the event of rowing across the Atlantic to help them? Is it, are, is it kind of through donations that are donated to your team and then it's passed on or like kind of what is, 
I, I get the the connection there, but what is what is kind of the relationship, I guess, of how that works? Exactly. Yeah. So it's all about awareness and driving people to donate uh, to Assistance League. Um, so for us, you know, we've got our social media running. We've been doing events and showing people the boat, and encouraging people to donate that way. You know, once they've once they've been asked and understood the story, um, and that's going to be a big part of the race itself is you know having that kind of media presence and encouraging people to go. You can either go onto our website or go onto Assistance League website to donate. Um, there's a section that's you know you can check off Pacific Boys in there. So, um, but uh, yeah, that's 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 basically how how it works. Um, we're Encouraging people to donate to Assistance League uh, to help uh, meet our meet our goal. That's awesome. That that no, that's really cool. I love that. So, so one question that I always like to um, you know kind of ask all the guests and whatnot and whatnot is um, some sort of advice for the listeners. Um, in your case, obviously, you've had a, a a pretty interesting journey as far as. Uh, you know, you seem, you seem like a pretty uh, determined individual, you know, learning about this without necessarily having any experience or any team or really knowing exactly what you're getting yourself into, but you knew you wanted to do it. And obviously you've seen that through and, and you will completely see it through um, coming up here in a couple of months. So I guess what, what is a piece of an advice that you could offer somebody that might want to kind of take that that lunge to you know hey i had this weird not that it's a weird race but you know a, a, a pretty game ambitious feat you know but I, hey, I saw this i really want to do this but they might maybe they have like a self-doubt or something like that mm-hmm. like i guess w- what would you say to encourage them to get them to where you're at now yeah it's, a, it's such an interesting thing i mean huh. <laughs> it's so important to be like super passionate about what you're doing because when it gets really tough and it probably will, um, as is pretty much, I think, I guess with my experience, anyway, almost inevitable, um, yeah. you know, things are always going to get somewhat tougher, but you know, if you're really passionate about it, you'll, you'll jump in. Right. And it, it can be obviously quite, quite scary. Um, but I, I guess you'll find courage from, from that passion. Um, and if, you know, if you find that you're, you know, honestly not courageous enough to do it, then, you know, maybe take a, take a step back and reassess. But, you know, whenever that happened, at least for me and my experiences here um, with this and, and other things, it's just been, you know, it, it, you know, at some point it's like, okay, I, I, I must, right. Yeah. Um, and you, and you overcome. Um, but yeah, I guess just be prepared for, uh, for it to be kind of all consuming Um but have fun with that though. It's, uh, it's, everything's, everything's, uh, an experience, you know, uh, and it's part of the journey, you know, bad, bad things happen. Um, but that's, that's part of the adventure, you, yeah. you know, it's, it's, and that's how, if you, if you take it, you know, one step at a time and, you know, uh, that's, that's, that's the exciting part. That's the parts you look back on. And it's like, that's, that was what was important. Yeah. You kind of look back at like, wow, how did <laughs> how did I really how did I overcome that? that, you know? And then, yeah, and then, yeah. yeah, but it's, you know, that's, if it's important enough, you'll do it. Yeah. That that's awesome. I love it. Um, and yeah. Like you said, kind of, you, you get to get, finally get that hindsight at some point and cause you stuck through the whole time and kind of, kind of continue on and carry on that passion. 
So where, where can people find you online to follow, um, you know, what you've done thus far, the journey where they can donate kind of all the, all the good stuff this all entails, um, and, and kind of follow and see what's going on. Yes. The one-stop shop is going to be pacificboys.com. Um, so on there, you'll find links to our Instagram, which I highly recommend. That's where we're going to be putting up most of our content, especially during the race. We also have a monthly newsletter, which I've been pretty consistent about recently, I have to say. Uh, so that's also up on the website. And as far as donating, you can go to our website as well. And there you can see the donate button. Uh, and under the mission tab is where you can go to find Assistance League. So uh, yeah, if you want to support us, please go there and, and help, uh, help support the kids. It would mean a lot to us. Awesome. Well, everyone definitely make sure you, uh, head to the website, check them out, check out their socials, follow their journey. Um, obviously there's some more information, good photos, all that stuff on the website and on the social as well to get kind of a better understanding of what all this entails. But, um, John, I appreciate you taking, uh, taking your time to kind of share kind of your background story kind of where your obvious passion for this has come from and kind of how that's grown, you know, over the last couple of years. Um, and then I especially wish you the best of luck um, here in a, in a month or so. Uh, once you, you actually finally, finally take that, that feat and, and make it across the Atlantic. So that's going to be awesome to kind of watch that journey. So uh, thanks again and best of luck. My pleasure. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for listening. And hey, if you've made it this far and like what you've heard, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and let your friends know about life in motion. Until next time.